Shall we begin? Let's begin Irotondo, what a finish! What a hit! Remember the name, Nestor Irotondo! Look at that! How on earth has Kuol scored from there? Suta! Another international goal! Rich Bagaloo through the crowd, fires one up into the top corner. This is the Soccer Who's Podcast, the show all about Australian football as we look to unearth the next generation of Socceroos who will one day wear the green and gold. Welcome back to another episode of the Soccer Who's Podcast. My name is Lockie. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Jarvis. How are you going today, James? I'm going well, mate. I'm ready to go. Uh, excited for a good day of podcast recording, followed by this evening. The A-Legs All Access video is coming out, so I'm incredibly excited about that. So... Good day of football. You've already booked your spot on the couch to watch the A-League All Access. Triple yeah. A is probably just the easiest way to refer to it. Yeah, not a battery, but scheduled in. Good to go. I like what you did there. Um, also, would like to extend a special welcome, now that the A-League is back, to all the security guards who are manning the football stadiums around Australia and probably need to do a bit of a refresher on fan culture within soccer within football and maybe just that refresher course could help them see that hey not everything is all that bad i believe you were sitting in the den i was yes how was that it was very good nice to be back close to home uh suncorp staff have seemingly forgotten what football is like though because i mean security guards weren't all that happy with people standing I mean, I dare say that is inappropriate, according to Suncop staff. And some staff also un- unhappy with Capo standing on some chairs so they can actually turn around and face the rest of the crowd and do their thing. So, um, plus just not generally happy with some of the unsavory chants that some people engaged in. There you go. Well, a special welcome to all security guards. Thank you for the work that you do do. And um, I guess we're here to stay. So get used to it. Enough of that. Let's get into the show. James, what a week of football it's been. The A-League is back. Yeah, it is. I've already seen a number of different takes (laughs) on socials, specifically Twitter, because that's where a lot of that discourse happens. But I'm in the subreddits. Actually, someone, speaking of subreddit, I know there's another handbrake on the episode, but someone shared our video. Wow. And it wasn't us. Hello to that person. uh, Hello. Thank you, whoever that was. I really appreciate it. Uh, the share, just I was like, oh, that's my face on my own feed, <laughs> and I didn't post it. It's just a bit of a surreal moment. Anyway, so I am on all the social media platforms, and I've been seeing a lot of different hot takes around the start of the A-League. There's a massive discourse around Matt Ryan's position, which mm. I want to get to in just a second. But one thing that did excite me this week when I jumped on Twitter was seeing... Our boys over in Scotland, our fullbacks, contributing on the score sheet, as is Bayich and Nathaniel Atkinson, both getting a goal, as is it's two in two weeks for him. I mean, very impressive because, I mean, not really a goal-scoring fullback so to see him getting on the scorecard. It's a good thing to see. But that Nathaniel Atkinson goal, mate, rocket. Well, to be fair, as is his most recent goal, was quite a lovely piece of dribbling to get into the box and then poke it past the keeper. So if we're really struggling, we have an injury crisis at the World Cup. Hopefully that doesn't happen. As is playing at left wing. I mean, maybe. You know, if Jay Rich gets healthy and miraculously recovers from an ACL tag, get him up front. Okay, now we're talking just silly hypotheticals. Anyway, back to as is as a defender. I mean, it's, it's good for him, really. Big confidence builder, two goals and two matches. And really a... Rocky start to the season for him. He was in and out of the team uh, throughout the first couple of months. First team manager sacked, so a bit of turmoil, some things said about his commitment. But has come back, two goals, two games, really good form. And, I mean, it looks like that left-back spot is now his because, I mean, he just got a winner against Hibbs as well, which has to earn you some plaudits. It did, especially when you've got the likes of Martin Boyle and, and Lewis Miller playing for the Hibs. Well, Martin Boyle playing for the Hibs. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. But yes, as you say, it is kind of his spot to lose now. There were question marks over Aziz Bayic 
Is he getting enough games? Is he performing well enough in those games? Especially at the start of this season, it looked like if it continued in that same trajectory that we might not be seeing as this page at the World Cup. There were shouts for Jason Davidson to be called up. He had his opportunity, I believe, not the most recent window with New Zealand, but I think he was called up for that final window with the Peruvian game mm. and the game before that. Am I correct in remembering that? He has been called up recently. My memory is also failing me right now, but he has featured in the last couple of windows. But we have seen Jason Davidson recently. It wasn't all that impressive for me returning for the Socceroos. And since going back to Europe after a largely successful brief stop in Melbourne, hasn't really impressed for his newly uh, Belgian side. So I don't think really he was up to pace. I think it was always Bayich's spot and King's spot to fight for. But seeing Bayich really performing now as King has struggled for match minutes, I think he's really starting to make that spot his own ahead of the World Cup. It was an interesting night for the Aussies. The other night in the Champions League, you had Nikita Rukovic's side winning 2-0. A massive upset. He came off the bench, I believe, in like the 83rd minute, so wasn't really involved in the game all that much. You then had the likes of Aaron Moyes, Celtic, and Ange as well, going down. Aaron came off the bench and I thought had a pretty decent game. What we've come to expect of Aaron Moy didn't set the game alight, but he had a really solid game. Controlling the tempo, doing what Aaron Moy really does. Exactly. And then most interestingly, you had Matt Ryan's Copenhagen clean sheet against Manchester City. There's been a bit of chat in the last couple of weeks between himself and Camille Grabara, former Liverpool goalkeeper, I don't think he ever got a game for Liverpool, but he was in the squad. And a bit of chat around who the first-team goalkeeper should be in that side. Matt Ryan is an Australian. You'd be going, hey, we really want him to be the number one. But I think he might be being played out by Grabara. He's gotten the last couple of starts and a clean sheet against Manchester City with a penalty save as well. A whole reason that Ryan moved to Copenhagen was so that he could be a number one. And now he might not even be. Yeah, it's really unfortunate for Matty Ryan. Um, if you're Matty Ryan, you're probably looking at your agents because this is now a, a few um, poor career moves following his Brighton stint where he really hasn't gotten the game time he needs to or hasn't really set the world alight and various places despite I think performing fine so I think it largely comes down to where he's gone has been poor for him because going to Copenhagen it it was a good decision in a vacuum because lower league than La Liga he'd assumedly get more game time main goalkeeper Grabara out injured but Grabara while yeah sure you can say oh he's Poland's fifth choice goalkeeper Poland is inundated with goalkeepers. If they could feel the side of goalkeepers, Poland would. And Grabara, he's a very good goalkeeper. Rocky returned from injury uh, prior to this Man City game. He wasn't all that inspiring. But penalty save, a clean sheet against Man City, as poor as they were, is still going to, you know, it's still going to capture the headlines. And for a new coach, because the previous manager was fired, of course, it, he wouldn't drop Grabara after a clean sheet against, you know, arguably the best team in the world. So, I don't really see a way back for Matty Ryan throughout the rest of this month ahead of the World Cup. I wouldn't expect to see him starting a game up leading into the World Cup because really there's two, three games left to most Australians in most European leagues, two league matches and a cup game on average. So hopefully Matty Ryan starts at least the cup game. Uh, I don't view it as likely, but it's going to be really interesting in the lead-up to the World Cup to see what happens because, of course, Mitch Langrak, he's been recalled. I don't know why on earth Graham Arnold did not play him in either match against New Zealand for any minutes. That was a bizarre decision to me, but he's just had a penalty save and a clean sheet in his most recent match. So really applying the pressure to Matty Ryan as Mitch Langrak really makes the case of, hey, you could argue I've been Australia's most talented goalkeeper for a long time. I'm definitely one of the best goalkeepers in Asia right now, and I deserve to be the number one going to the World Cup. Let me clarify, fact-check you. 
he had a clean sheet in one game and then a penalty save in the following game. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, cool. Just wanted to make sure because, yes, he did concede a goal in that second game. But you, you are correct. The case of the Australian goalkeepers is a really interesting one for me. You've got Matt Ryan, who we know can perform with little to no game time in the lead-up to a Socceroos game. He's just able to turn it on, and that's one thing you love about him. He's just so consistently good and has saved Australia so many times, literally, because that's his job. But you then have the likes of Mitch Langerak, who has been performing really well in Japan. I think deservedly has been called back out of international retirement. And I'm not saying that Matt Ryan should just be dropped. He'll 100% be on the plane to Qatar. I just think that no player should be exempt from scrutiny. And I still think that Matt Ryan is clear of Mitch Langerak. Don't get me wrong. But we've got another, what, three, four weeks into the World Cup. If Matt Ryan gets no more game time, but Mitch Langerak is continually performing and exceeding expectations, I think there should be a question that's asked, hey, should we maybe start Mitch Langerak instead of Matt Ryan? What do you think about? I think it would be foolish to argue that there isn't a conversation because realistically the best indicator of form and talent is game time and if a player isn't playing and isn't really performing if they are playing it's really hard to make the argument of should this person be in the lineup over the other person I'm a very big believer in footballing merit uh, whether it applies to a league system or individual places in a national team. I think merit is the most important thing in football, really, when you look at competitiveness. So to anyone that says it isn't a conversation and there shouldn't be a conversation, I would say you're wrong. Um, and it would be unfair to Mitch Langerak to say it isn't a conversation because it should be. It should always be a conversation. You can make the argument that it is still Matty Ryan for the number one position I think there is very fair basis in that argument. And I'm not quite sure where I land. I think I err on the side that I would still choose Matty Ryan as my number one just because of his consistency, his captaincy, and the way he has shown that again, turn it on for the Socceroos on limited game time. And the goalkeeper position is a bit different um, in terms of the need for match minutes. But it would be disingenuous to suggest that there isn't a conversation for Mitch Lingrack. Because otherwise, he's showing up and is only there as an injury replacement. Because we know that if for some reason we get to the knockouts and it goes to penalties, Andrew Redmayne's playing. You're breaking that glass. We're hitting the fire alarm and Andrew Redmayne's coming on. And then if there's no injury, then Matt Ryan plays all three games. Mm. And Langerak, once again, just warms the bench. Which I think for a player of his caliber, it's the nature of the goalkeeping position. You either are playing or you're not. There's not really any subs happening halfway through a game for a goalkeeper. And that's part and parcel of that role. But I think it would be unfair to Langerak to say, hey, to be honest, mate, you're only here in case Matt Ryan gets injured. I think he should be challenging and the expectation should be that, hey, he could take your spot if you're not getting game time. For sure. And that's why I think also it was a big miss by Arnold to not play Langerak. In the second match, especially against New Zealand, I think that was a miss. And I think it really is unfortunate for Langrak because that is the opportunity that he deserved to further push his case. But also, I think that is unfair to Matty Ryan because Matty Ryan deserves to be pushed. He is a professional footballer and he has shown he is a absolute professional. By all accounts, he seems like the model professional in football. So he deserves to be pushed by looking at his contemporaries, looking to make his spots. So to see Mitch Langrak get minutes, comment on an international retirement, Matty Ryan should have been challenged by that and deserve to be challenged by that because I think that would have made him a better footballer in the long run as well. Let us know if you disagree with us or whether you agree. You can get in touch with us at any point on our socials. We always post about the latest episode and you can have a bit of a discourse down in the comments below. That's the goalkeepers. Should we move on to another position? Should we move on to some of our players performing well elsewhere? Sounds good, mate. Where do you want to take us? Where? What ticket are we booking? What plane are we getting on? Let's head over to Japan. Thomas Deng 
part of the most recent squad. I would say on the fringes of this Socceroos squad. He did well against New Zealand. And now he's back to the J1 League, which will be massive for him next year. Yeah, it will be. His side, Alberex Nagata, just got automatic promotion, mate. So they're back up. He's back up. And I think he deserves to be there, really. He has shown consistently upon his return from injury that he hasn't missed a beat. He is back. He is healthy. He's good to go. Physically, he looks great. And for the Socceroos, I think he was exceptional in that one game. Had a very good performance. Really was never threatened. Uh, and that's because of, I think, his initiative in cutting out the spaces to make sure attackers were never in a position to even attack him in the first place, which is exactly what you want to see from a central defender. And at a club level, he's been really the, I'd say, top three central defender in J2 and returning to J1. He deserves to be there. And I think it won't be a Denis jean situation upon promotion. I think he'll actually get meaningful match minutes and continue to start the majority of games for his side in J1 unless they sign someone insane from outside of the Japanese footballing pyramid. Speaking of centre-backs, another one of our centre-backs just wrapped up their season. Talking about Milos Degenek in the MLS with Colombia. Got a question for you, James. Do you think he's done enough? Because I would say maybe six to 12 months ago, he would have been 100% top four centre-backs for Australia. I feel like he's dropped off a little bit. Do you think he's done enough to be on the plane? I think he has. His side, Columbus Crew, obviously, they're done for the season. They missed up on two points, just missing out on the playoffs. He's had an up-and-down season, uh, as is the life of an American defender. Unfortunately, there's games where they look amazing because they keep a clean sheet, and then there's games where they shit four because of the nature of the attacking style of football that you see over there. Uh, but for Degenek, I think he has got that spot, but it's really... The Australian centre-back spot is so interesting to me because you have someone like a Harry Sutar who, if healthy, is like on the plane 10 out of 10 times, right? But obviously, he's recovering from a torn ACL. So it's really hard to say if he's going to be healthy. And if he is, he's definitely not going to be 100% match fit, right? So as an Australian manager, as Graham Arnold, do you take that risk? Do the club say, hey, mate, we think it's okay for you to take that risk. So it's that's fascinating to me. But when I look at Degenek, I think he's been consistently good enough that he has secured a spot. He's played regular minutes. He's done everything that Graham Arnold really has asked of him. He's gone back to club land. He's played consistent football. And maybe a month off heading into the World Cup could actually be good for him. He'll be free of all ailments, all niggling injuries. He will be Good, ready to go, 100% in terms of his conditioning. Match fitness may be a slight drop-off, but nothing insane, I would suggest. It's more so the partner of Trent Sainsbury. That, that's what's interesting to me, because he hasn't been good for the Socceroos for quite a while now. And when you have someone like a Thomas Deng, who's really performing well, pushing on him. A Kai Rolls, who, when he has played in Scotland prior to his broken foot, has played really well. It's a really interesting narrative and a really interesting storyline heading into this World Cup because who is going to be really the partner to Degenek if Sutar is still out injured? Right now, it's Kai Rolls, but he's injured as well. And if he isn't good to go, who is it then? Is it Thomas Dang? Or does Saints keep his spot? It's going to be probably the most highly debated position, I would almost argue. It's that and striker, I think, will be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah, that's even if Sutar is back. Hmm. I think I saw a tweet this morning saying that he has been listed in the under-20s squad for the upcoming weekend. So only just getting back into, for lack of a better term, junior football. Match minutes. Match minutes, 100%. But it takes a while to get back to full fitness and he's going to have to time it perfectly to be back ready for the world cup. I don't know. I'd love to see it. I think he'll be on the plane and if he has to pull out at the last minute, then he will, but it's definitely one to watch in the coming weeks. Looking closer to home, the A-League is back. Come on. It's exciting. It's great to have Australian professional football happening once again. 
been such a long off season. But what an interesting round it was. We had the F3 derby rained out, which was disappointing for some of those fringe Socceroos players really trying to convince Graham Arnold, the likes of Garang Kowal, who probably would have played off the bench. And then even someone like Jason Cummings, that striking spot, he would have relished at the opportunity to play a game of football last weekend especially when you have the likes of Jamie McLaren and D'Agostino popping up with a goal. Two players that are and have been a part of Socceroos squads in recent history. So that striking spot is a lot up for grabs. I can see Arnie picking Mitchell Duke. I think he's someone that's almost a staple within this squad. I think then for those other potentially two striking spots, I can't see Arnie picking three and Mitch Duke you've got a battle between Taggart McLaren Cummings and D'Agostino I think some of those players are closer to getting their foot on the plane than others but when you're scoring that's the best marker of form right well yeah ultimately but it's a tricky one I think because the A-League and international football there's a big gap for me. No, what? I think the A-League is a great product and I will forever Top five appreciate attacking it. leagues in the world. It is. And I think that speaks to the defending quality in the A-League, unfortunately. Um, because we've seen it really. Jamie McLaren is a perfect case study. A player that bangs in goals in the A-League and then doesn't really do much in international football. At the end of the day, because what he can do is he can read play well, he can press half decently, and he will poach goals. And if he can do that at the elite level, you'll be a phenomenal footballer. But for Jamie McLaren, he could do that to a good level like the A-League. But once he steps up that one level higher to international football, to Scottish football even, when we saw him in his time at Hibs, he just doesn't quite have the quality to make it. And... That's why, for me, if I'm Graham Arnold, if I'm the Australian manager, I'm not looking at the amount of goals that Jamie McLaren scores. I'm looking at how he scores them, how else he impacts the build-up play. Because, for me, that's what he needs to do to prove to me that he deserves to be on that plane. Because I've got enough matches of Jamie McLaren to know what he's like right now and historically as a footballer in the Socceroos. He needs to prove that he's more than that now to book this spot in the plan because, I mean, Duke's ahead of him for me, Taggart's ahead of him for me, and I think Cummings is ahead of him for me. So he really has to prove that he's a more diverse player and he's grown as a player over the A-League offseason heading into the World Cup. And to be honest, I have doubts about that. For both D'Agostino and McLaren, you saw their matches over the weekend. Do you think, other than their goals, they did enough off the ball because let's be real a lot of the games that we'll be playing at the World Cup I can't imagine we'll be retaining the ball for too long do you think they did enough off the ball to warrant a selection in the soccer side I think D'Agostino did more for me than McLaren um, for all the hype that is made about McLaren's defensive intensity I think it oversells it to be honest uh, McLaren he should be better in terms of cutting passing lanes and shadow marking opposing central defenders. But realistically, he kind of just stands in space and then once the ball is near him, he'll start pressing. He's not very proactive in his defending. Whereas Nick D'Agostino, he's very proactive in his pressing, which I really appreciate. He will work tirelessly to close down angles to make it really difficult for the opposition to pass out from the back. In terms of his build-up play, that's where I have concerns about D'Agostino is he doesn't really drop off and operate very well uh, combining with central midfielders and with wingers to build up the play. He'll more so, when they win the ball back, he'll pass the ball back and then immediately start looking to press the line, which is is fine. It works for Melbourne Victory's game plan. It works for Tony Popovich, but it isn't enough for me at the next level. And that's why I think Nicholas D'Agostino probably doesn't deserve to go to Qatar. I don't think he's good enough. And why I have concerns about D'Agostino taking the next step and getting to the next level until he starts really operating well and build up play and contributing to 
build-up play and getting wingers more involved and getting assists to his name and shadow assists to his name. I'll throw another name into the mix. It can be played up as a striker. It can be played out wide. Only played about half an hour of football, but in that half an hour of football, contributed a goal and an assist in the big blue. Chris Economides. I'm not saying he's going to the World Cup. Don't get me wrong. But is he an option for the Socceroos to look at in years to come? No. I think it's the short of it. I think his period of international football has occurred. I think at 27 years of age, looking towards the next World Cup cycle, I think Australia has a wealth of younger attacking options that I think would be better served on focusing on bringing through someone like a Camp Upion, who I think has insane potential for Australia. Even looking towards the under-17s, Aaron Kunda, Grant Kowal, we have a wealth of young attacking talent. And I think right now for Economides, he's kind of caught in between two generations where I think he's not really going to feature much of the Socceroos anymore. I think he has, when he has played, he's been good. He served his time. I'm thankful for what he has achieved. But if I'm an Australian manager, I am looking at a Martin Boyle and saying, hey, mate, next World Cup cycle, we know you're coming towards the end of your career. Would you be more interested in taking on more of a Matthew Leckie role throughout qualifying, coming off the bench here and there, and helping these young guys get integrated? So by the next World Cup, it's all about these young guys because we think they have what it takes to be world beaters at the next level. Do they have that potential or not? I'm not going to say, uh, but that's certainly what I'll be saying to them if I'm an Australian manager because I want to be motivating them and pushing them as much as I can. Wouldn't necessarily say they have achieved nothing personally, but I think that's where Chris Economides finds himself. He served his role in Australian football when he was performing highly and in good form. He came in, made a bit of an impact, and I think his international career is past him now. And I mean, great to see him performing well at a club level because I think he can be a great player for the A-League for the next four or five years. Uh, but in terms of his Socceroos future, I do think that time is up for him. Wow, that's some scathing words for the 27-year-old. I think there's at least one more World Cup cycle, at least. He'd be, what, 32 by the time the next yeah. World Cup rolls around? I mean, maybe he could have kind of like a Craig Goodwin kind of cameo where he comes in for a couple of games, but I certainly don't think he's got the ability in his talent anymore to be a regular for the Socceroos. I do think that ship has sailed. But yeah, Craig Goodwin cameo where if he's performing exceedingly well, comes in for a couple of games, plays a role. I I could see that, sure. Do you know how many caps he has for the Socceroos, roughly? I want to say five. It's like 17. Really? Yeah. Ah. Because I, I I definitely remember him playing a decent amount when he was young, like being in and around the squad. I didn't realize so many of those... Squad call-ups resulted in caps. Yeah, lots of bench appearances, games in friendlies and the like, but that was higher than I expected. I thought it would have been less than 10. So, mm. Chris Economy's a good international career, I'd say. I hope you're wrong. I hope that he can prove you wrong and we might see some more of him. I mean, I always love when players prove me wrong when I undersell them. It's true. Also, across the A-League, you had the Big Blue, which was... A spectacle, both on and off the pitch, I would say. It was really a good example of what the A-League could be with room to grow as well. And maybe a solution for the centre-back issue for Australia with Ryan Grant, right? Stop it. (laughs) As far as defenders go for the Socceroos, especially looking at this big blue match, Ryan Grant. Central defender, mate. Yeah. Don't get me started on that. Andrew Redman, I don't think, had a wonderful game either. Yeah, well, I would argue he was the worst player on the pitch with Sydney FC personally. Certainly not his best showing. I actually think that one of the best defenders on the pitch, Stefan Negro, mm. he's not in Socceroos contention, but that pass leading to that victory goal. Oh, yeah, that pass to Nani was... Unbelievable. Oh. Unbelievable. If you had to pick a World Cup squad purely based on passes this week, he'd be there. He'd be there in the squad. No doubt. Well, I want to move over to another Australian fullback because I spoke about him 
towards the show Inception when he was playing off in Italy saying, look, remember this guy. He could be a bolter for the World Cup. He's got a lot of talent. I don't think his performance has been meeting that talent, but he could, I think he certainly get there. In the A-League preview, he's probably one of the few hits I had in the first round. Gabriel Kluwer for yes. the Western Sydney Wanderers. Phenomenal game, mate. Yeah. Kluwer had a fantastic game for Western Sydney Wanderers. I don't really know if Perth threatened him all that much. His job was made a little bit easy, but you were right. It was a great game by him. And yeah, that video, if you haven't seen it already, head over to our YouTube channel. But we preview some of the players to watch this season and he, I think, will be key to any success that the Wanderers have. I saw a tweet the other day saying, if our recruitment strategy is just to find Jerome Pollens lookalikes, then it's gone pretty well. It is. And I mean, I'm a big fan of Gabriel Kluwer. Very large centre-back, stunning. Quite tall, physically imposing. And most importantly, he gets up and down the pitch and contributes to the attacking lineup. So I'm really excited to see how it goes this season. I think he had a very good season towards the tail end in Series C. And wouldn't be surprised if he has kind of a Davidson season in the A-League. Is one of the best defenders in the A-Leagues and earn to move straight back over to Europe or maybe even a J-League where I think he'll thrive. I think the last game that I probably want to chat about within the A-League is the MacArthur-Raw game. Armiento. Armiento had a great game for the Raw. I think he's a while off the Socceroo squad. We can dream that a Raw player will be back there soon. It's true. I want to talk about on the opposite side of the pitch, I guess opposing him, Daniel Arzani. A player that I don't think he can write off after one game, but I think he'll need to do a lot more if he's going to have the season that we're hoping that he will have within the A-League. I mean, didn't really get off to a good start within the five minutes, almost got booked for diving. So not the most impressive starts for Daniel Zani, who really struggled against the quite resolute, I would say, back five for the Raw because... Down his side, they had Hingett, who kind of operated more as a you know, fourth central defender almost, where Armiento got up and down the pitch. Uh, and he struggled in this game. The really interesting thing for me, for Daniel Lozani, and we touched on it during our last episode reviewing the Australia Cup, is he's flamboyant, right? He's going to create something out of nothing. He is going to be that spark. He is going to create chances in and around the box but he has to do it consistently. And that consistent factor so far is shown to be where we have seen Daniel Zani in the past because he was inconsistent in this game. And looking ahead for Arzani in only a few matches that he's going to have, it's it's going to be a tough ride for him, I think, heading into the World Cup because next up is Adelaide United, very structured, very organized side. Then Western United, one of the better defensive units in A-League history recently. Then they've got Sydney FC. And then maybe Wellington Phoenix to start off in November could be a really good opportunity for him to have a, you know, a full 90 minutes of good performance. But it's going to be an uphill battle for Azani, especially when you've got Atilio, who is a bit younger, has had more time in the soccer squad. Or a Garan Kowal, who was off to play for Australia, also really pushing for a spot in the squad. So I think Azani, he's, it's an uphill battle for him and I don't think he's going to make it, but I'd love to see him prove me wrong and I think he's got all the talent to do that. He's just got to put it all together. Yeah, totally agree. I would love to see him back at his best because I love unrealized potential. I love seeing players hit their potential. I feel like there's still a story untold with Daniel Azani. A redemption mm. arc, if you will, where we see him hit his best once again in the A-League. Comes under the tutelage of Dwight York. Even being around someone like Danny De Silva, who I think had a little bit of a similar sort of path to Arzani, being someone that was touted as the next big thing. So I think that MacArthur environment will be really good for him. And I would love to see him succeed. I'm glad they just didn't do it against my Brisbane Raw side. Pretty much. I think worst case scenario and what I really hope it doesn't become is like former MacArthur player Tommy Orr 
I just that's the worst case scenario I think for Azani. And I really hope he doesn't go down that path of really just ending up struggling with muscle injuries for the rest of his career and not really living up to his potential. Uh, I think he will do better than Tommy or I think in the long run, but really it's still up in the air to see where he goes. And I'm excited to see how it plays out because I'm really hoping for a positive career from Daniel Zani. Speaking of players that are kind of young and looking to reinvent themselves or redefine their careers or maybe even define them for the first time. There have been a number of Aussies making headlines in the last couple of weeks. There's an article by Vince Rigari talking about Sakati and his outside chances at making a World Cup squad. I believe Arnie has made an appeal to him because he's doing really well in Serie B. Valpardo even got a mention in that article as well, which seemed to imply that there's still a chance that he might play for Australia. But I think for both of those players, they still haven't exactly made up their mind just yet. They'd like to play at the highest level possible. Maybe for Sir if we could lock him in sooner, if he was told, hey, we're going to send you to the World Cup this year, he might jump at that chance. That's one to watch, I think, for the future. But Paul Ocon Jr., I believe, has also made his debut, at least for the under-19s, Benfica. And then... You've even got the likes of Alex Robertson returning to Manchester City. Once again, back in that ecosystem. But he's returned from injury as well. He's training with the first team as well, mate. Not for the reserves, not for the under-23s, for the first team. There you go. What do you make of these future Australian prospects, James? Um, It's a really interesting one. I think we can see Sakadi now. He's, it's quite clear who he is as a player. He's got some good sample size now. He's done play consistently in Serie B, same division as Fran Karacic, Socceroos defender, and he's getting consistent match minutes there. I think he is of Socceroos standard right now, I would say. I think he is certainly good enough. I just, yeah, the big thing for me is I'm not sure if he's committed right now to the Socceroos. Obviously, he's a part of Italy's youth system, uh, an ecosystem over there. I'm sure all his teammates as well would rather he stay with Italy, uh, purely because they're probably Italian as well for the most part, playing in Serie B. Uh, so, Sakati, I really hope he does play for the Socceroos because he's a cultured left-sided centre-back or central centre-back in the back three. He's very versatile as a central defender, and I think that's something Australia has really lacked. We have very good exceptional defenders in their own right, but we've never really had a versatile central defender like a Sakati. So he could be a huge asset to the Socceroos for many years to come. Volpardo, I mean, we know who Volpardo is now. It's just about for him securing first team minutes regularly now. And he's clearly not interested in the Socceroos right now. It's all about Italy for him right now, if he can make it. So I'll leave it there. To the other ones though, Alex Robinson is an interesting one for me. Back, he's returned from his injury, and he's playing, well, at least training for the Manchester City senior side, one of the best teams in world football. This really could be the breakout year for him, and I certainly hope the Australian FA are, you know, on the call to him, to his agent, to his family, and saying, hey, look, we're interested. We really want you to be a part of the setups. We want you to play for the Socceroos. We think he could be a key player for us and they're really just starting now because one of the big issues with Volpato is he felt like no one in Australia believed in him no he was cut by Western Sydney he was cut by Sydney then a talent agent who noticed him said hey look come trial over here in Italy then that's where his career took off and that's why he would you could easily argue and I think he would say he feels far more loved and appreciated by Italy and wants to try and play for them so I, I really hope Football Australia and youth team managers have learned from that mistake. It's not wrong to critique a player, but you have to make sure that you still you communicate that you believe in them. And for someone like an Alex Robinson who has just returned from injury, you have to especially now say, hey, look, we're keeping tabs on you. We think you could do it. Keep on doing well. You know, Show us that you can keep on playing well, returning from injury, because we believe you can make it. And you have to be doing these things because... Not too long ago, he was part of the England youth setups, right? And obviously, I believe his dad was a part of the Australian setup at some point as a player, I believe. 
So, I mean, he has that historical connection like Paul Ocon Jr. And who's just made his debut for the Benfica youth side, the under-19s? And you may think, you know, listeners at home, it's the under-19s. No one really cares. No one should bat an eye. But the Benfica under-19s is, I would argue, the most prestigious under-19 team in world football. The talent that comes through this squad is insane. And what's more insane is the hit rate. Now, I'm not talking about world-class player hit rate. I'm talking just about every single player that comes through the Benfica under-19s goes on and becomes a very solid and good professional footballer with a model character to boot. So to see Paul Ocon Jr. get his debut in this setup, defeat some work permit issues and start playing for this setup to grow his footballing career, grow his character and really just start this footballing journey is a phenomenal thing to see. And what's even better is he's committed to the Socceroos. We've seen him recently called up to a Socceroos squad. Not the Socceroos squad, but an Australian youth squad. So it's good to see that Football Australia have done well in keeping this son of Socceroo in and around the Australian setup. Yeah, dad was Mark Robertson, who played one game for the Socceroos, according to Wikipedia. We know we can trust Wikipedia. But yes, those four players all have big futures in world football. Hopefully, we'll be seeing them in the green and gold in the years to come. And 100%, as a show that is all about the future of Australian football, we'll be looking at them very closely. I haven't written off Volpato or Sercardi like some others have. And I think that one day we might see him playing for Australia, but I think we need to be as supportive as possible. Whatever he decides to choose, don't understand people who would call him a snake, would call him out for choosing a country that is also very close to him. I think that goes to show that we have a long way to go when it comes to cultural diversity within Australia because there are plenty of people that are immigrants to our great nation and we should celebrate that diversity. And that kind of makes Australians Australian. You look at that Socceroos squad and there's a mixed bag of different cultures within that team and I love it. And I think adding some Italian Australians into that squad will make the team so much better for it. That's the Socceroos. There have been some games and there will be some games coming up as well involving some of our other youngsters. You've got the under-20 Asian Cup qualifiers coming up against Kuwait, India and Iraq. Some highlights from that squad, at least some the most notable players. Josh Rawlins, who's over now playing in Utrecht. You've got Alessandro Lopain at Western Sydney Wanderers, uh, as well as Alexander Badalato, who has also been involved in the Australian youth setup for a little bit. Max Caputo at Melbourne City. Archie Goodwin, who I mentioned in the video that we put up previewing the A-League season. He's someone that I think can benefit from an experience like this. Yaya Dukuli playing in France. Gabriel Popovic playing in Croatia. And the biggest name by far just earned a move over to Newcastle. Garan Kowal has been called up to this squad. And the thing most fascinating about this call-up is that it was met with a lot of controversy because it means that he's not getting senior minutes in the A-League leading into the World Cup. Do you think that will hurt his chances being involved in this squad? Uh, no. I think this call-up is actually bigger picture because we're seeing him next to players like you've mentioned. Another player I'm really interested in, Adrian Sekasic as well. So we're seeing him playing with other players of his age who potentially will become his Socceroos teammates which I think big picture-wise is far more important because by the next World Cup cycle, I mean, we could see half of these become soccer irregulars, right? So for him to start that journey and getting to know them better, play with them better in a competitive environment will, I think, be beneficial long-term. So I think reactionaries, I get, I think for whatever reason, Australian football fans are horrendously reactive and while, yeah, sure, it may 
could argue, oh no, he's not getting senior minutes. In the long term, this is better for Australian football. To see our best young players playing in these setups is the most important thing for the Socceroos long term. So I'm excited for it. I think it'll be interesting to see how he goes against different national setups because we've seen how well he does in Australia. Uh, but like a Nestri Aaron Kunda, it'll be interesting to see if he steps up and plays better against different national setups because some players, they, they don't do that. I think Grain Coral will, but I'm very excited to see how he goes. To put in context, though, some of this squad, it's not really featuring our best, I would argue, on the 20 players that are playing overseas. Obviously, we've already touched on players like Sakati, but even a Liam Chipperfield, a Tristan Hammond, a Mohamed Toure, who is Yaya Dekuli's teammate, and someone like a Johnny Yule, even from Australia. Injury right now has ruled him out, unfortunately, but a lot of players not featuring that probably would, talent-wise, would warrant a call-up. So it's exciting to see just how deep the current Australian youngster pool is, and I'm really hopeful that we see some special things out of this lot because I think there's a lot of players on the verge of really breaking into some serious first-team football from a grain call, but I think an Adrian Segasic, this is really going to be a huge camp for him to show just how good he is and why he deserves to be a first-team regular for Sydney FC and potentially earn that move abroad. They've got three games in three days, the 14th, 16th, and 18th of October. I don't know whether you'll be able to watch them anywhere. I imagine at least on YouTube at a minimum, if you're interested in checking them out. James, I want to chat about a player that you've just mentioned, Nessari Irankunda, who was just involved in three big wins for our under-17 Joeys in the lead-up to, I believe, the under-17 Asian Cup. Correct. 23-0 over Northern Marinara Islands. That game, the longer it went on, the worse I felt for Northern Marinara Islands. Usually I'd celebrate a big win, but knowing the backstory, knowing what it meant for those players to be playing in Australia at this tournament. I'm don't get me wrong. I'm stoked that we scored 23 goals and I think it's going to be good for us in the long term that we're qualified for this tournament. But yeah, I don't know, just just knowing that the population of 50,000 people, which is not even enough to fill our local football stadium, and really the coach only gets 100 or so players to choose from. So it's kind of whoever is interested in the sport gets an opportunity to try out for the team. For me, football is filled with stories, and it was one of those stories that I found myself rooting for them as the tournament went on. But focus back on the Australians. 23-0 against Northern Marinara Islands. You then had a 10-0 win against Cambodia, who we lost to not even all that long ago. And then 3-1 against China, which was the game we were really wanting the to win. The real test. That really was the real test. And we passed with flying colours. It was a convincing win. Did you see the red card in that game? I did. That was dangerous. It was. Very, very dangerous. Just trying to take out Nessa at Irankunda, really. Yeah. Because for me, he is the best player in that cohort by far. I mean, that wasn't really close. Um, if Of the 36 goals that Australia scored during the qualifiers, it, it felt like Irankunda was involved in, well, 36. Um, but he was just exceptional, really, wasn't he? Five goals in the first game. I believe one in the second and and two against China. And he was just leaps and bounds above everybody uh, from Australia and from the opposition. He was unbeatable. And it's insane to think just how rapid his rise has been, really, from a, you know, he it's like, from the days of when he was coming through the youth system in Adelaide, I, I paid close attention to the youth teams in the A-League. And from Adelaide, all the talk was like, it's Johnny Yule. He's insane, you know. Chelsea's circling. Huge Premier League clubs are circling. Everyone's watching this kid. Johnny Yule almost won the best player in the NPL at the age of 15. 
I mean, like, insane talent. And then all of a sudden, well, Nestor Yunkinder, he, he gets a debut. For Adelaide, they, they give him a shot. And he goes nuts. Insane game. Then he comes back. He does it again in another match off the bench. And he consistently performs. And really, for me, matches Grand Kowal. And he's younger. Like, his rise is something I haven't seen in the A-League, I would argue. Just how rapid it's been. Because you have to keep in mind, it's not just his rise up the A-League. It's his rise up just to youth ranks. He has come onto the scene. He's burst onto the scene. It was always recognized that, oh yeah, he'll he'll be a good player. He'll be a good A-League player. But the way he's continued to improve, the way he's continued to fill out his body, he's become stronger. And all of a sudden, now you're thinking, well, the sky's the limit. Because he really just manhandled and demolished the best Chinese youth setup ever. Like, and I'm not exaggerating. That is... In all sincerity, that is true. For all the money that China has poured into their youth setup, this is their best team ever. And he made them look like the school children that they are. Right? And I'm just so excited to see where he goes because when you speak about hot young Australian prospects, he's top of my list at this point. And the fact that he is still so unknown internationally by the average football fan, and even by your hardcore football fans. It's going to be super exciting to see just how quickly he rises up those ranks next, because it seems like he certainly thrives off being an underdog. And even now where he's becoming more of a main story in the Australian footballing scene, which he was in his qualifiers, he's shown that, hey, look, even when I'm not the underdog, everyone knows the talent I have, I will still prove just how good I am. And that's even more cause for excitement for me because it shows that he's got far more depth to his game and his character than just a classical underdog story. I think he's going to be insane for the Socceroos in a few years. And the sort of him and Grand Kowal on the wings, it's exciting. The dribbling ability, the vision, the athleticism, the finishing ability, and they also press so well. Like, it's going to be beautiful if they both stay healthy and continue to develop the way that they can and the way that they should. Yeah, I totally agree. And I can see why you might not think that Chris Economides has a place in the Socceroos side when you've got players like Yerin Kunda and Kowal coming through and even the Toure brothers. We could go on for ages about these prospective Socceroos players. I think we'll wrap up the episode there, though. Thanks so much for listening. If you have any feedback on the show, if you want to get in touch about any of the players we're talking about, your thoughts on the A-League matches, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube is where you can find us, Soccer Who's Pod, or via our email address, soccerwhospod at gmail.com. That'll be it for this episode. We'll be back after another week of football as we edge ever closer to the World Cup. We'll catch you then. <laughs>